blessing to be here today to share together in worshiping God and right now let's give our attention to the reading of his word and for our text this morning let's take a look at Luke chapter 13 so if you turn there in your Bibles Luke 13 if you don't have a Bible of your own our ushers have Bibles available Raise your hand and they'll bring one to you. Luke chapter 13. As we turn there, let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'd like you to follow along with me as I read the entire passage. Luke 13, the entire chapter. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders and all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now he, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bound on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour 
until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying, journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet shall perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers his brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God give us understanding this portion of scripture that is the text for this morning's message. Let's bow in a moment of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with a special song, and then our special speaker for today is Brian C. Kenner. We're glad to have Brian come. God has really blessed him with a call to his work and the uh, willingness to study and to work hard and to live a life that's pleasing to, to God. And we thank God for that model and that example. And we pray that we give it our attention to the word of God as preached this morning. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come here today in your presence. We thank you for this place to gather where your word is taught in Sunday school, people come together and your word is taught and you are worshiped here in this place. We pray that you'd bless the teaching and preaching of your word always and today as, as Brian delivers this message, Lord, that you would speak through him, that you would use him um, and that you would speak your word to us, that our hearts might be receptive to take in your truth, understanding and falling in line with with um, who you are, being submissive and obedient to your will. 
We pray that you just open our eyes to your truth and make our hearts um, just willing to, uh, to surrender to you. We pray for this group of believers, Lord, some who have experienced different physical heartaches or challenges or hardships, that you would be with your people, bless, encourage through the struggles, and heal in, in a physical way, Lord. So we pray for both that physical healing and that encouragement of the spirit that needs to happen. We pray, Lord, that this ministry might go on, that you'd bless the outreach as we go out in the neighborhoods and speak your word, as we use the different arms of ministries that you've made possible here. We, we pray that you would bless and use them for your glory. We thank you for giving us a, a van, uh, a vehicle that can be used. We pray, Lord, that it be used for your glory to, to bring men and women, boys and girls, to this place for worship and that you would use that to, to, to save people, to strengthen the saints. And may your people here, may we be willing to use uh, of our time and of our energy to to get the gospel out and to be a part of this work so that um, your work is completed here. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to praise you, Lord. As we sung, Lord, when we praise, Lord, we want to praise you, Lord, in our singing. We want to praise you in the giving of the word. We want to praise you, Lord, those seated, Lord, who are listening to the word, listening to the word in faith, Lord. We want to pray, Lord that we would be praising you as we live throughout our week, that it wouldn't just be something we would do on Sunday, Lord. Help us to be praising you all the time. your name we pray, amen. It's always an honor to be able to preach God's word and opportunity. When you get an opportunity to be used, you get an opportunity to grow. And the scripture told tells us um, young men who are training to deliver the word to show your progress before all the people. And so I'm always proud to show my progress and I pray that you will see my progress in the word because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be progressing. And it's a word that God laid on my heart today. It comes in a time in Luke 13 where Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. He's teaching and he's getting into more and more conflict with both the Pharisees and getting into more encounters with demons. And the ministry is building up. And it comes to pass in verse 1 of the chapter. It says, there were, at some present, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans 
whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so, in the middle of Jesus' ministry, I think we learn the truth about human tragedy. One of the things that we know about human tragedy is that we're intrigued by it. The news is not filled with good news. It's filled with bad news. If you want to hear a big news item, it's not. Three people gave $1,000 to the Humane Center. It's, there was four people shot on the north side. And this rapper said this about this rapper, and they want to kill each other. And this person cheated on this person. And this person was outed for being unfaithful. He's a politician. And this, this, it's always bad. But bad news is what intrigues us. That's why they lead with that. That's how they make their money. They make their money peddling bad news. And the reason they can make their money peddling bad news is because that's what we want. We want to hear bad news. It tickles our ears to hear bad news. Nobody want to hear about how good you did. They want to hear about the disaster. Did your car blow up? That's a good story. You drove to your trip and you got there fine? Yeah, okay. And so they tell this story about the Galileans who Pilate killed. And Pilate was known to be a very suspicious character. He thought everybody was spying on him all the time. And I don't have all the historical details of this, but basically some people were going down to sacrifice. And so they were coming to worship God, and they had some sacrifices, and Pilate murdered them and brutally killed them so bad that you couldn't tell the blood of them from the blood of your sacrifices. So that's why I said the blood was mingled with their sacrifices. And so they kind of telling Jesus, like, oh, did you hear about that? And Jesus got an interesting response. Because I think when tragedies happen, we have two dangers we can fall into. One tragedy I see a lot of people in the Christian church doing this all the time, and they do it too much, and it is this. They say that that tragedy can never be pinned on sin. People got mad because Jerry Falwell, after 9-11, he said, God is judging us because of the abortion. And people got up on him. How dare you say 9-11 happened because of that? And you know, there is some truth to that. How would he know that, right? He'd been wrong about a lot of things in the past. And so he's not exactly the most trustworthy person, but... The fact that people were so angry about that, it kind of exposed a false view of Christianity, which is we can never pin tragedies that we see on the sins that we see. That's one danger, and that's a false teaching. And then there's another danger, and that is a sense of superiority that we have. So-and-so's daughter got pregnant. That happened because they be doing this and this in their house. Nah, that ain't going to happen to me because I don't raise my kids like that. When tragedies happen, we can fall into two camps. We can get arrogant or we can act like there is no judgment. And Jesus doesn't go to either extreme. He says this, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? 
It's an interesting answer. Because if you look what his answer is, he says that they did suffer because of sin. And this is something that we can say in the Christian church, even if it's not popular. We don't care if it's popular or not. It's true. And this chapter is a lot of Jesus saying things that people don't like to hear. And we as Christians have to be okay with saying stuff that people are not okay with hearing. They say, Jesus, oh, did you hear about this, this Galileans? And it's easy for them to say that because nobody liked the Galileans because most likely the people that they were talking about were Samaritans. And we know how the Jews felt about Samaritans. So when something bad happened to them, oh, man, you hear about that? Yeah, you hear about that, Jesus? They kind of got what they deserved, didn't they? Do you think they was worse sinners than anybody else? That was a Samaritan? You think these are worse than the child molesters in Samaria? You think these are worse than the rapists in Samaria? You think these are worse than the murderers in Samaria? It was easy for them to judge the Samaritans because they didn't like them. So Jesus turns the question around. What about those who fell in the Tower of Siloam? Now, why does he turn the question to that? Because the Tower of Siloam was in Jerusalem. They knew about that. So imagine we'd be whispering to each other, did you hear about that bomb that went off in Saudi Arabia and killed those Muslims in the temple? They kind of probably deserved that. They were probably plotting some terrorist plot. Jesus would say, do you think that was... They was worse than anybody else in Saudi Arabia? Matter of fact, what about the towers that fell in 9-11? He's bringing it close to home. And he says, do you think the people who fell then did anything wrong? Or, put it another way, do you think they're worse than anybody else? Now, it's not to say that none of these people did anything wrong, because look what he says, really carefully. He says, do you think these people were worse sinners? They were sinners. And he says this, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he repeats this twice, but he just brings it closer to home the second time. And the whole point is this, people suffer because of sin. I was talking to a man yesterday. He was blind, or he was going blind. I don't think that he did anything specific to cause him to go blind. But you know what? Him going blind is because of sin in general. If a kid gets shot, it's because of sin. It may not necessarily be able to point to something specific that that person did in their life, right? But things bad happen because of sin, right? But when bad things happen because of sin, we can say, man, why did that happen? Because of God's judgment on sin. But even then, God is not always getting on the worst people, is he? Because we know of murderers that are getting out of jail after three years, and they go out and murder again. In our city, that's not likely to happen. We get people who get convicted of drunk driving, and a judge let them out, and they kill a police officer. How come when they had the accident, the drunk driver just didn't die? Right? 
I asked that question. I know other people don't like to hear that kind of question, but that's the question I asked. How come he didn't die? He was the one driving drunk. He didn't care. He done done the same thing many times. How come he didn't crash into the judge that let him out? Why not? He the one the reason that he's out there. How come he didn't crash into his lawyer? He the one that got him off? No, he crashed into an innocent police officer. But we would not be wrong to say that that police officer died because of sin. We could say this, that every tragedy is an invitation to repent. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You could be a gangbanger and get shot because you're dealing drugs. Or you could be a five-year-old who your daddy left his gun out there and you play with it and you die. You could be a drunk driver who crashed into a pole. Or you could be a police officer who's doing the right thing and get crashed into by a drunk driver. But unless you repent, you will also perish. Every tragedy is an invitation to repent. And he says this, this parable he gives. And when you read the passage, the first time you read it, you wonder, why is he giving a parable here about a tree? But the parable is meant to stick the lesson of the first five verses. Why do God let people live? Why do tragedies happen? It's because it's supposed to wake us up and say, Lord, that could be me. So they come to this tree. It happens to be a fig tree. A fig tree is not by accident, by the way. That was often a symbol of Israel. And so you had this fig tree, and it's not bearing any fruit. And the master say, hey, man, I've given it three years, which is plenty of time, and it ain't doing nothing. Let's cut it down. The servant is like, well, listen, master, let's just give it one more year. And then if it doesn't bear fruit, cut it down. Now, you can get twisted up in the details of who the master and who the servant is and the mercy of the servant, how great that is. But the real lesson is this. At the end of the day, if the tree doesn't produce fruit, it's getting cut down. And so the same lesson in verse 6 through 9 is the same lesson in verses 1 through 5. Repent or perish. If you don't produce fruit. Listen, people always say to repent, but I always want to say is put the fruit out there. Show me your fruit. Show me what you did. If you really repent it, you'll produce fruit. And if you don't produce fruit, you will be cut down. Repent or perish. That's the first lesson. Verse 1 through 9, repent or perish. But then verse 10 through 21, we see the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and in comes a woman with a demon. 
It says she had a spirit, a disabling spirit. Now, this is a very interesting spirit for two reasons. The first off is why he didn't have no fear to walk up in the church. Right? Think about this. He had no fear being up in the church. And what that tells us, because I think oftentimes we don't put ourselves in the mind of the people who lived in that day. What that tells us is this. They had a religion that didn't have any power. Their religion either lacked the perception to see that demon or they lacked the power to deal with that demon. But either way, they had a religion that lacked the ability to deal with these spiritual demons. And so here's a lady with a demon. The second thing that's interesting about this demon is that it impacts the lady physically. Right? Now let me tell you something. We in our society, we like to talk a lot about mental illnesses because we know that they have a physical outcome on a person. And I'm here to tell you that a lot of these mental illnesses and syndromes are spiritually related. We have let the world act like they have a solution to things they don't have solutions to. All they do is give a person a pill and hurt the person shut up or put them in an institution and lock them up and put them in virtual jail. That's the only solution they have. They talk about the daughter of the Kennedys that they don't want to talk about. This daughter, they just gave her a pill and bombed her mind out to the point where she could barely talk or do anything, and that's the cure. The world doesn't have a solution to these problems. Let me tell you, Christian people, be very afraid when the world's solution is a pill. It's hard for me to see the big difference between that and the drug dealer. It's hard for me to see the difference between going to a worldly counselor and going to the mosque. It's hard for me to see the difference between Dr. Phil and going to a church that would just be called Church of Atheism. If you're not relying on God to heal you, Will you really be healed? Because let me tell you, sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. This lady walks in. She's got a demon. She can't stand up. Everybody sees this, but they don't know how to identify the cause, nor do they know how to stop the demon from doing what he's doing. He's so bold, he can go right into church. And Jesus sees it. He says, woman, you are free from your disability. Now, you might go into other churches and they might say the same thing as that, but let me tell you, sometimes that's arrogance when they do that. Because there's a big difference between me saying that and God saying that. But in this we see a God who gives the power or let me just say it this way, the religion of Jesus has the power to deliver from demons, but the religion of the Pharisees does not. 
the religion of the Pharisees gets mad when people get healed. Look at verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. You can see the spit coming out of his mouth when he said it, right? He mad. Why is he mad? Why is he so mad? But I believe that the doctor would be just as mad if I was to go into the hospital and say, relieved in the name of Jesus, spirit depart. We got people who've been training 20 years to cure this mental illness. And you in here laying hands, get out of here. There's no difference. There's no difference. We confront the same things. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead its way to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? There are some important things that he says here. And there's four considerations that we should look at. The first one is this. The Pharisees was more concerned about unbinding animals and not people. They could unbind an animal, but Jesus' point was, if you could untie an animal and loose him to water on the Sabbath, how come I can't unbind a woman? Another point is this. This lady was a daughter of Abraham. Now, Jesus didn't use that phrase loosely. I believe what he meant was, this is a lady who is saved. This is a lady who has been oppressed by a demon. And that's a really interesting question there, where you have a religion that a person is a believer, but they're still getting attacked by a demon. Isn't that an interesting question? And what we would say is this, that that would never happen to a believer who had the Holy Spirit in them. And that's the power of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God delivers us from these kind of dangers. But this daughter of Abraham was bound for 18 years. What kind of life did she have to live? The third thing that we see from this is the Pharisees didn't believe that you could come to church and be healed. Sabbath day was like their Sunday. That was the day that they went to church. And they're saying you can't go to church on Sunday and be healed which is to bind the power of God on the very day which it should be displayed. And when you look at the next verse, what you see is the silence of false religion and the rejoicing of the people. This is the power of the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom of God delivers us from demons and it makes the people rejoice and it puts the liars to silence. But then he goes on from there and he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And it starts off small. And you could plant it in a garden and it will grow big and take over. And that's how the kingdom of God is, right? You could plant a little small seed. But if it does take root, if it does grow, it will take over that person's life. People walk at like, well, you know, I'm saved because you see this little bitty change that I made. Baloney. That's nonsense. 
if you've been saved, it will be such a big change that I can't miss it. People always want to tell me, well, you know that person? They did, they did apologize a little bit. In the, in the past, they wouldn't have done that. Still the same old person, rolling in the church the same old way. Don't tell me that person is saved because I'm not fooled. And you should not be fooled either. Until you see a new creature, don't waste my time. Don't waste your time looking for something. Don't waste your time looking for with a magnifying glass for the work of God. Because God's work is too big to be missed. Then he says, the kingdom of God is like leaven mixed in flour. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, when God gets into something, he changes the very nature of that thing. He changes the characteristics of that thing until it becomes something different. That's what it means. Well, you know I got a little bit of God in me. Sometimes I'll be backsliding. You know what I'm saying. I mean, no, brother. You never had that leaven mixed in with the flour. That's why part of you be doing this and part of you be doing that. Guess what? When God gets in you, the whole part of you is transformed. Don't be telling me what parts you done changed in your life. Why don't you just tell me about your whole life? Let's deal with that part. So the first lesson is repent or perish. The second lesson is this is the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom of God can vanquish demons. The power of the kingdom of God makes the people rejoice. The power of the kingdom of God is so big you can't miss it. The power of the kingdom of God changes the very nature of a thing. Then in his last section, he says, somebody comes up to Jesus and they say, Lord, will those saved be few? And if you notice in there, do you ever see in there where Jesus says yes or no? And I'm going to tell you, there's a big reason. A lot of times when people ask Jesus questions, we often, and this, it could be a frustration at first, you'll notice that Jesus does not give an answer sometimes. And I think we have to ask ourselves, why doesn't Jesus give an answer? Or does he give an answer? And in this situation here, Jesus does give an answer, but then he kind of gets to the heart behind the question. Because when you ask the question, will those saved be few, you presume that you will be one of the saved. And Jesus doesn't accept that assumption. Because look what he says here. Someone said to him, Lord, will those saved be few? And he says to them, strive to enter the narrow door. In other words, the, the short answer to that question is, yeah, there will be few saved. But you strive, because you still got work to do. Strive. Too often when we talk about salvation being a gift, I think we therefore think that salvation will be easy. And I don't believe that that is the case. Jesus says strive. Now, we don't mean to talk about a works-based salvation, but I do think salvation takes a lot of work. Not your work, but God's work. 
people talk about a free gift, but it's maybe misleading to talk about it as a free gift. We could just say that it is freely offered to us, but it definitely wasn't free. Because Jesus had to pay a high cost for that gift to be given. And even those of us who receive that gift, that doesn't mean that we now have this free and easy path. Because we have a pathway that's filled with thorns to walk across. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And if you know anything about crosses, those are not light. And not pleasant to be strapped to. Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, hey, you got saved? There's a cross for you. Uh, we like to put crosses on our necks and think that's beautiful and everything. But back in those days, they wouldn't have taken the cross the same way. Jesus says, strive to enter that narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Now, if we stop at that verse, we can be confused and say, you mean there's people who want to be saved and can't be? Well, that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying there will be difficulty entering. Why? He keeps going. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and saying, Lord, open to us, that he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. The reason it's difficult is because everybody wants to wait until the last minute, and they don't know when the last minute will be. And when Jesus shuts the door, it's not going to be reopened. It reminds me of Noah before the flood. Noah was preaching for many years, and nobody repented. And then the door got shut by God, and nobody could enter. And when the rainwaters rose, people was beating on that door. They desperately wanted to repent, and it was too late. And all that mocking. I'm sure God had it on a recorder and he played that for them and says, I don't know you now. It's too late. It's too late to enter that narrow door. We invited you and you wouldn't come. And now you come. Because the analogy is of a master who has his servants and he says, be back by this time. And then at that time, he says, okay, I'm shutting the door. And there's people who think they could come at any time, and they say, now, hey, master, I'm one of your servants too. He's like, I don't know where you came from. But, I mean, I came out from here. No, I don't know where you came from. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. This is not a passage of people who accidentally couldn't figure out how to get saved. This is a passage of people who never took the wordings of God seriously. People who always thought God was joking. It reminds us a lot of Lot's sons who it says, Lot warned them to leave the city, and it, to them they appeared to be joking. It reminds us a lot of the kings in Jerusalem who, who Jeremiah came to and said, why don't you repent right now? Maybe God can avert this disaster. And they said, well, you know, let's just wait a little bit and see what happens. That's exactly what they said to him. Wait a little bit in the dungeon. He goes beyond that because Jesus is getting in people's face with this. 
Because look what he says, strive to enter. I tell you, will seek, many will seek to enter and will not be able. It says, and you begin to stand outside. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from the east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. There will not be you in the kingdom. There will be others, though. Many people think that they are the people of God. I saw a post on Facebook yesterday talking about black Jesus. People thinking that their culture is the culture of God. Many people think black people is the people of God. They're going to be sad. They're going to be very sad. It's a sad thing to think about the fact that many people think that they're going to get into the kingdom of God and they're going to be disappointed. It's not really anything really to laugh about because it's so sad. Because they have a full expectation that they're really getting into heaven and no idea that they're nowhere close. And he says, you know, there's going to be a lot of people in the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to be you. It's the arrogance of culture. Well, I, I believe, you know, people always say, I was raised in the church, this and that. My mama's a singer and this and that. They act like the black culture is somehow because we've been oppressed that we're the people of God. And I have to tell them, we are a very backwards culture and an unsaved culture, a worldly culture, a messed up priorities culture. We are a people who are more concerned about people saying the N-word than little kids getting shot. You people more likely to riot if a white person got on TV and said the N-word than if a gangbanger shot up a house of kids. That's why I judge this culture. But every preacher of every culture should judge their own culture. Because we got a lot of sinfulness in that we don't want to admit, but because it's our culture, we want to act like it's okay. It's not okay. Repent. It's not okay. You're not okay. You will not get in as you are. My mom was saying this yesterday. Come as you are and leave saved. Don't come as you are and leave as you are. Come as you are and leave changed. Jesus then goes and says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And by this, what you see is this, that they was trying to influence Jesus by fear. They said, Herod wants to kill you. And I want to remind y'all that it wasn't Herod who killed Jesus. It was the Pharisees who killed Jesus. So when they warning people to stay away from Herod, it's like, who? Where are you coming from with that? And Jesus agreed with him that Herod is a despicable man. He said, "Tell that fox 
Right? He said, Herod ain't no good. He said, listen, I'm not going to be afraid of Herod. I got work to do. Just like we all have work to do. Somebody came to me yesterday when I was witnessing. They said, you got to be careful in this area. I'm surprised somebody ain't take a swing at y'all or something like that when y'all out here witnessing. And I said, well, God going to have to protect us then. I'm not going to be influenced by these people's evil. And neither should you. Because Jesus wasn't influenced by their evil. He said, tell that fox, I got work to do. And I ain't worried about him. But you know what? Herod is just one of many of you guys who want to kill me. In fact, the whole city want to kill me. You talking about Herod. Herod ain't going to kill me. It's going to be you who kill me. The whole city wants to kill me. The whole city wants to kill everybody that's sent to that city. I'm not going to be the first. I won't be the last. I'm just the greatest. But when I go to that city and be killed, guess what? Soon after Stephen gets, goes to that city and gets killed, soon after Paul gets captured in that city and sent off to get killed, soon after Peter gets to that city and he eventually gets killed, Jerusalem then chewed up and killed up many prophets and apostles. Jesus was just the greatest. But it speaks to the fact that there is a Jerusalem spirituality that he was rebuking. A spirituality that knows the word of God, but is going around plotting against the people of God. Believing that they are called because they are the people of God. And their own arrogance think that their own righteousness will deliver them. And lack the humility to understand that it is the righteousness of God alone that delivers. And Jesus says, behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's an interesting verse. Because there's a way to see this in this. It is this. As you oppose God, he forsakes you. As you are forsaken by God, he will not return until you are pleased to see him return. Until you bless him when he returns, and not only him, but those who come in his name. People often say, well, I will believe if God was to come. No, you should believe if somebody comes in the name of God. And if you won't believe them, then you won't believe if God himself came. That's what Jesus said. They said, Abraham, why don't you go down there and witness to my brothers? He said, listen, man, it don't matter if I go down there. It don't matter if God himself go down there. If they ain't going to believe the people that's down there, they ain't going to believe me either. Because I was down there and people didn't believe me. Now, the central theme of this passage is this. Repent or perish. The first section is, unless you repent, you will perish. The second section is only God's kingdom can save you from perishing. The third one is strive to enter the narrow door or you will perish. So repent or perish. Now, when you look at repentance, repentance leaves no room for pretending. In verse 2, turn with me to verse 2. He says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans because they suffered in this way? People was pretending that they were superior to the Galileans. In verse 15, Jesus had to rebuke the Pharisee because he was pretending that he was holy. 
when he really wasn't. He was standing in the way of God. He was acting like he was standing on the principles of God. He was acting like he was so noble and standing up for what God had said. And he was standing against God. He was pretending to be holy. In verse 31, the Pharisees were pretending to be friends of Jesus as they warned him about the dangers of Herod. But repentance has no place for pretending. That's why I hate, and I don't use hate lightly, I hate, I hate when people pretend and play games in church. I hate when people do that, oh, hallelujah, sister, how you doing? That fake stuff that they don't never say on Tuesday or Thursday. You would never say that to anybody when you wasn't in church. But you saying all that stuff, it's not a game. People act like a certain lingo you can use in church you can't use nowhere else. Listen, if that's how you feel like it is, please leave and don't come back. Repent or perish. Jesus has no time for false teaching. Verse 1 and 2, they come and say, oh, did you see these people that fell? They must have failed because God judged them. Jesus said, listen, God judged every one of you. Unless you repent, you also perish. That was a false teaching. Jesus had no time for false teaching in verse 14 through 16, where the Pharisee was sitting there saying, oh, this is wrong, this is done on the Sabbath. Baloney. The Sabbath is a day made for God to deliver his people. If God can't give you rest on the Sabbath, what day can he give you? He rejects the false teaching. In verse 23, where somebody says, and we'll turn there. Will those be saved be few? Focusing on the crowd and not on themselves. The false teaching of verse 31 where they say, well, Herod is the evil one. Watch out for him. No, it's you that I'm watching out for. Repent or perish. Because Jesus wants you to look at you. Look what he says in verse 2 through 3. He says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans because they suffered? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will also perish. Verse 14, the man gets all mad. And Jesus says, you hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Ought not this woman be loosed? You are the hypocrite. Look at yourself. Verse 23. Won't those be saved be few? You strive to enter the narrow door because you will try to enter the door and not will be able to enter. You will see the prophets on the inside and you on the outside. Look at you. So many people looking at everybody else. I believe a lot of people go to church and they look around themselves and they try to see how everybody else is acting and they try to act like that. And you can tell that's the case. And I've been in places like that where everybody starts talking the same and doing the same mannerisms and things like that. And I've seen it happen in both 
I've seen it happen in black cultures where everybody's doing this dancing and stuff like that that they don't normally do. And then I've seen that happen in white cultures. I go on a campus crusade and everybody talking the same way. Like, yeah, man, God. You'd be like, why is everybody talking like that? And it's like, you didn't even know how to talk like that until you came here. You've been looking at everybody else. And as you look at everybody else, your eyes are blinded to the sight above of God looking at you. You don't have a relationship with God. You got a relationship with all these other people. You are too busy establishing this church culture and not busy establishing this relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because when you establish a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, your faith becomes your faith, and it's an independent faith. And it might be a little bit different than anybody else's. You might have a little bit different relationship, just like I got a different relationship with my dad than my brother and my sister do. But our dad still love us, and we all love him. But it's a little bit different relationship because we're all different people. I don't have to look and see, how did my sister and my dad get along? I should be like that. No, because that's how they get along. As long as he loved me and I love him, it don't matter how he react with her. And that's how we should be with God. Everybody looking at it, well, how did he say it? How did he pray? How did it? Listen, there's some principles you can learn from other people, but why don't we try to learn it first from God? Another thing we learn from this passage is this, that Jesus is teaching as he journeys to the cross. Look what it says in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues. Verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And in verse 32, he said, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet shall perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching until he dies. But in verse 35, he will return. He will return. He's going to hold all of us accountable. And the last thing from this passage that I don't want you to miss, look at verse 26. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Jesus is the master of the house. Because they can never say that God the Father spoke in their streets and drank with them. But they could say that Jesus did, couldn't they? Jesus taught them. Jesus was right with them. And he's going to be the one to determine who gets in the door? Many people come and tell me when I go out of witness, I believe in God. Well, let me tell you, I don't know who your God is. But I do know that there is one Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. There is one Lord. There is one church. There is one Father. There is one Spirit. And if you don't believe in that, your generic God is not doing you any good. People say, I believe in God. James says, even the demons believe and tremble. And that's not saving them one bit. So don't believe in God. 
believe in a very specific God who is described in this Bible. And you cannot get to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you do not walk across the path that is known as Jesus, you will not enter that narrow door. And all your believing in God does you no good. I am not reassured when people tell me they believe in God. I want to hear the name Jesus Christ. Let's preach a specific gospel. I'm not okay with Allah. I'm not okay with Buddha. I only want to hear about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I pray that you would just help us to repent. Help us, Lord. You have given us the power to repent because you have given us this opportunity to hear your word. All of us in this room have the opportunity to repent because you've given us this word. And Lord, I know and I have faith in your word. And I know your word, it has the ability to loose people from demons. It has the ability to grow like a mustard seed. It could be something small and it just planted somebody's mind. Next thing you know, it took over. It could be something small like leaven and you put it in flour. Next thing you know, it changes the very nature of a thing. So help us, Lord. Help us to strive. Help us to not think it's just going to be something easy. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. So help us, Lord. Help us to serve you with our whole heart. Help us to repent, Lord. Help us to strive. Because if we don't repent, Lord, we will perish. In your name we pray. Amen.